Welcome, Redeemed Church family and friends. It's always a blessing to be able to get to connect with each of you, even if we have to do it virtually, though it's exciting that uh, we continue to meet on Saturday nights, and we've even done some Sundays. So uh, God's been good to us, and I'm grateful for this opportunity uh, to connect with you today. I am preaching um, today from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 32, and I just want to say right up front, this is a really complicated and hard message. In fact, I've, I've titled the sermon, The Law of Grace. And I hope you can hear that for a moment. I mean, because grace usually isn't seen as law. And what Jesus is going to do, he's reframing everything in this passage. Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus just flipping stuff. And so he's going to come to this section of saying, this is how I really want you to be able to walk out life and to live. It's called the Beatitudes, and Kurt spoke on that two weeks ago. And then he said, and I want to be able to see it impacting the world, so you're going to be the salt and the light. And Kurt spoke on that last week. And then today he's going to say, now this is, this is how it really works. This is when you roll up your sleeves and get it done, it will look like this. And it's not going to look like a bunch of rules. It's not going to look like behavior modification. It's going to look like the embodiment, embodiment of grace, my life being lived through broken vessels. And so this, this is a hard concept to grab, but it's going to be mission critical if we're going to really be able to transform our communities, much less allow God to transform our lives. So open up your Bibles with me uh, to... Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at basically verses uh, 17 through 32, but I'm going to say that the whole thing is going to premise upon our willingness to see things differently. Literally, when I say he's going to flip it, he's flipping everything. So our paradigms, whatever words you want to use, your presuppositions, your perspective that you bring, I'm asking you to put that into a place that it will not prevent us from seeing what we need to see today. It's uh, interesting to me because sometimes we make things trite, and friends, this, there's nothing trite, cliche, about what he's going to say here. He's going to be uh, straight to our very heart, straight to the core of the way that we live, and he's going to attack our self-identity. And so if you're not ready to have your identity hit a little bit here, um, it's going to be a rough, rough few minutes. I remember when I moved from uh, Texas and came back to Washington, I had... I don't know what, some Texas pride that I felt good about. I mean, Texans are tough. Just to be able to live in that kind of heat and that environment, you've got to be tough. And you know, I mean, even the Ford commercials are called, you know, when they talk about the trucks, it's built Texas tough. I mean, they even have a Ford pickup called the King Ranch. Uh, and so I, when people would attack Texans, I would take it personally, like you're attacking my own toughness or that come and get it, make it happen mindset. And in reality, while there's some great things about Texas, there probably are several things that could be improved upon. So would you look at it today as Jesus starts asking you questions about your innermost self. Don't take it as an attack against your identity. Take it as an opportunity to evaluate who you really are and how well that's impacting change in your life and in your community. And so psychologists call this uh, attack on identity or the preservation of an identity our superego. In other words, we're self preserving our own identities at the risk of admitting that, we'll, that we're failures, while Jesus is saying, I just want you to look at your identity and find it in me so that you can find a place of change. It's not about us being failures. It's not about us being defensive. It's about us having a growth mindset and becoming more like Jesus. 
So Jesus is going to say, if you have a problem with checking your identity, then he's going to say, that's self-righteousness, and I'm going to go after that. And it's a beautiful thing because in today's message, we're going to find that there really is a, a difference in being able to protect our identity and grow in it. So I just want to ask you a question. Uh, would you agree that most people are unhappy because they're struggling with a change? It, really, we are. When we're unhappy, it's because we're struggling with a change. It's an opportunity. And I would say to you, the ones that we struggle with the most are the deepest tied to our identity or our self-preservation. And so those are the hard ones. I mean, some of us, change isn't that big a deal. Like Amazon, I used to like to look at the stuff I buy before I bought it, or try it on and touch it. Now, I just, I mean, I love not going to malls or to shopping places. I love getting it delivered to my house. I just have to say if it doesn't fit, I don't like it, I send it back. That's, that's, a, that's all the change. That's an easy change. But when you talk about who I am as a person, the way I view life, that's, that's getting harder to accept. And so if I'm struggling with change and, and it can be hard, it might be because I need to change. And so the re, the uh, remedy that Jesus is going to give to us for change, if we're struggling with change, we're really struggling with happiness. And he's going to tell us right here in this passage today, you will not find happiness in the world. You're not even going to find it in yourself. You're going to find happiness through my grace, my love, my forgiveness. And I'm going to give it to you because you don't have it. And if you'll receive that, now you're on the right track for happiness. Anything less than that won't work. So there is no substitute for grace, is what he's going to be telling us, and he's going to be very pointed in it. So I, I want you to just to look back for a little minute, for a minute, and look at those uh, seven beatitudes. And I'm going to say seven beatitudes because uh, there's seven attitudes or lifestyles or a way of being that Jesus calls us to, and every one of them has a promise. And guess what, friends? Every one of the promises. And the action of being that is in the present tense. And so in other words, be this way and the result or the reward is going to be this. It's not a later thing, it's a now thing. And I hope you understand that. And with that in mind, I just want to go back to uh, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 9 on these uh, Beatitudes to make sure that this really lands. First of all, he's going to say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are seeking eternal life is the truth here. For the kingdom of heaven is promised now. Blessed are those who mourn or empathize with the hurting, for they will be comforted now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, be, they will be filled with Christ. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. That's what he's going to go on and say in that promise. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy now. Blessed are the pure in heart, the genuine, for they shall see God now. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God by God now. I mean, talk about our identity, friends. These beatitudes encouraged had brought these out to us, and he went through and he showed us the way that we get to embody them. And that when we are living these, that there's a happiness and a depth of character that transcends what humans can uh, bring about on our own abilities or initiatives. These are the very ways to be transformed and to transform others. And in, in the process, the beauty of it 
is that there's this now reward. The now reward is that Jesus is walking with us each step of the way. We are experiencing Christ when we walk in these attitudes. And so the, the promises there, I just want to make sure that we see the warning as well, because these things are revolutionary. They are transforming. When's the last time that you were really able to look at a person and say, wow, they are living these. When I think of that person, I think of these. And so I want us to just take a moment and look at our identities and find it in Christ and living this way. We're almost like off the hook of trying to measure up with the world. We're off the hook of trying to find our happiness in this world or our affirmation from people. Jesus is saying, let that go, push it aside, be this, and the reward is now. Be this, and I'm with you. Be this, and we are together. Be this, and we are the church. This is how it's supposed to work. And if it's not working this way, it's not a judgment. It's not an attack. It's an opportunity to move into this. However, that being said, the next two uh, blessings that are going to be shared are actually warnings. Look at me. Look at uh, verses 10 through 11 with me. It says that blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even in the midst of persecution, we will experience the grace and acceptance uh, from God. But the reality is persecution is going to come to those who live this way. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if Jesus knows when you live this way, people come after you, why is he telling us to live this way? It's like, Lord, is that really what you're asking me to do? And he's absolutely. Because what we need to be able to do as believers is model a completely different type of life, a non-self-preserving life, a spirit-filled life. And when we model that, that's what we uh, are able to be able to do. What Kurt challenged us in a beautiful way last week. He said, you are the salt, you're the light. We've got to be this. I love it when he said, you need to get the salt off the shelf or out of the jar. We need to get the light out where we can be seen. And it's not a light that says, we're judging people, you're doing something wrong. It's a light that says, here's grace. Come and experience a new life. There was such a powerful message. So if you haven't heard these two, go read them and, or listen to them and catch up because this is the life that God gave his life for. And friends, I just want us to commit to a life of the Beatitudes knowing, knowing that there's going to be persecution and the persecution is going to be like this. First of all, our own self is going to try to fight this. Our own self is going to say, that's difficult, that's change, that, that causes me to rethink who I am, it causes me to uh, evaluate everything differently. And so that, that's hard enough. And so we want ourselves to not be out of the way. And we've said this before, but self-revelation blocks Christ's revelation. Self-preservation will block Christ's revelation. So Christ is trying to reveal a new life for us. We can't take the things of God and to dumb them down so they fit self. And so instead, we push self out of the way so that we can actually walk in the ways of God. That's how it has to work. But secondly, when we live this life, it's a 
interesting psychological term, but it's called projection. But when we actually live the life of Christ, what happens is that other people feel guilty or they, they feel convicted because of the way we're living. Therefore, they often will attack us to see if we can um, actually quit living the life so that they don't feel convicted or prove us wrong or to put us in our place so that they don't have to change their ways. And so that persecution, it's coming, it happens. Jesus knew that and he said, I, I want you to realize that in the middle of it, you will be blessed because I chose to use a broken vessel to show the way of grace. So that grace is now being made available for people who might even be attacking you because they have mistakes, they have hurts, they have hardships, they have sin, they have problems in their lives that my grace can actually cause them to be revolutionized, transformed, and made well. The way that they're going to find healing isn't going to be in attacking or resisting. It's going to be in receiving grace, and you're the vessel for it. So are, am I willing to be attacked? Am I willing to have people say things that aren't true about me? Am I willing to do what's right in the eyes of God, even when I come under the fire for doing so? Well, friends, I am. And Jesus is asking us to do the same. I'm not saying I do it perfectly. I don't think people even expect us to do it perfectly. They just need to see grace come out of us, not counterattack. And so in the human self, when you give grace, it's actually counterintuitive. It's counterculture, but it's exactly what's needed. Can you think of a problem right now that God's grace wouldn't cure? Can you think of a change that's really meaningful that's going to happen outside of grace? I really don't see it. So let's just all admit it. Raise your hand. I need grace. Raise your hand. I want to give grace. Raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to receive it so that I can give it because we all need it. And that is really leveling the field so that we don't have to feel defensive, but we feel it a blessing to carry the blessing. So if this is right, then here's where it's going to get very real. Jesus is going to say, I want you to count the cost because giving grace is more significant than what most people realize. In fact, he's going to say, if you don't flip life, you're not really giving grace, you're giving something else. So you got to flip it. So we have to understand, and we've said this before, but Jesus did not come to uh, stomp out the Romans. He didn't come to remove the religious leaders. He came to love them. He came to transform them. He came to change them so that they could literally become vessels of grace, not destroy them. And so that, that's a hard truth. <clears throat> so we're going to now come into this place that we're going to be asked to live a transformative life. Not a, hey, this is how we can make it through life, a transformative one. So he's going to say, if you want to live a transformational life, here's what you need to know. First, I want you to look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and hear what he says. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So first of all, we actually have to recognize that the law is no substitute for grace, and that God didn't try to change the world or human beings through law, but through people. People who have experienced grace give grace. 
Do you agree with that? Can you look in your own life right now, would you, and just think of the times that you've been changed the most, that you made the, the greatest gain in really walking in peace and truth. And I almost guarantee you, you will find in it, regardless of the hardship that was around you, you will find that grace is what launched you from one level to that new level. And so if we know it's true for ourselves, we've got to be willing to give it to others. So you can't sit there and judge people. You can't go after them with the law and think that that's going to make them a better person. It won't. It'll make them more defensive. It'll make more projection. and It'll keep God's grace from flowing. And so what we're going to learn here is that Jesus is saying that the law is not only words, because it was written, but the law is living and active and able to do what humans can't. It's able to move in the very place of the human heart in our innermost being. And then what he's saying in this particular passage is, and by the way, the law is standing right here, right in front of you. It's Jesus. It's me. Well, it's not really that different now. Uh, the, the truth that sets us free is Jesus. And he is right here. He actually lives in us as believers, and he's believers and he's able to access truth in love to be able to have hard conversations that people need to move on with their lives. That's how it's going to work. And so I just want you to look at this revolutionary concept because I'm saying we're not out here as Christians, friends, to tell you what you're doing wrong and then say, pray the prayer and get saved. That is not what I'm saying. That's not what the word of God is saying. The Word of God is saying that there is a gospel, a gospel of good news, a gospel of life that says you and I cannot overcome our hurts. We can't overcome our sins. We can't overcome the things that we've done wrong. We have to be forgiven to be made well. And we actually become agents of healing for others. That's what he's asking us to do. So look at Luke chapter 16, verses um, 17. It says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John came. And since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. So again, in Luke 16, verses 16 and 17, what he's saying is, this truth has been made available from the very beginning through real people, through the law, through the prophets. And that is this concept of the fact that king, the kingdom of God is here to give us uh, full life, real life. Individuals who try to force their way in won't make it. But those who are able to understand that you receive it will be transformed by it. And that's how it works with him. So I love the fact that the gospel of the kingdom is good news from heaven. And I love the fact that what he's saying is actually very radical. And so I, I stop and I think, how does my current view of what it means to be a Christian line up with the gospel of the good news, which is you as an individual, I myself can be loved, can be forgiven, can be made new with a gift of grace that comes from him, not through the efforts, efforts of changing my own behavior to be approved by him or others. It's, it really is that revolutionary. So we've got to be able to lean into that. And sometimes I think I spend more time and energy 
just trying to justify myself and my own actions than what it would really take to allow God's grace just to change me. And so the level of defensiveness that we have about growing in Christ really tells us how, how well we're drinking from his fountain of grace. All right, so secondly, just to understand the significance of this 180, this impact of really having life changed, Jesus is going to go, I, I didn't come to abolish law. I'm here to fulfill it. I'm going to show you what it really is. And now I'm going to explain it to you. He's going to go on with these uh, truths around, you have heard it say it, but I say to you. And the first one he's going to hit us with is at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. He says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Did Jesus just say um, that if you literally think murder is wrong, what I'm saying hate is wrong? He's actually saying if you murder somebody, you think that you, deserve, you should have to pay for it. He's saying if you hate somebody, you deserve to end up in the fire of hell. He's not talking about just the action of a murder. He's talking about the motive down in the heart, which has to do with hatred. And so I'm uh, acknowledging that some of us may think that murder is bad. But what Jesus is saying is that hate is what drives murder. And so if you are angry, if you're angry enough to show hate towards another person, we're guilty of murder. That's what Christ is saying. That is radical. So what we really need to do is to understand where does that anger come from? Where is the hate that would move us to want to see a person lose their life? And, and I think it's significant. I, uh, I think that there's so much anger that results in destroying people's lives that it, it must just devastate uh, the heart of God to see it. What's hard for me is to recognize that in our culture, that anger and hate seems to run rampant right now. And, and it really, it, it's, it's very disturbing to me. It, it's out of control. So even in our human best efforts. This is what we've got. And I just want you to know, and I wrote these uh, numbers down so that I get them right. But in the United States, 168 people die each day from a violent death. 168. That, that's homicides in the United States per day. 316 people are shot every day, and 106 of those who are shot die every day. Friends, this is not an anti-gun statement. This is an anti-hate an anti-be angry and act out of anger statement. I'm just acknowledging that whatever we've been doing up to this point in the United States has not created a culture of acceptance and love. It's created this. And so I, I would say that the majority of the problems that we face each day are going to be tied to two things. One is violence and the other is sexual sins. These two things seem to dominate the culture that we have. So if there's ever been a need for us to be transformative, it's now. And Jesus is going to hit on this because look at the next passage he talks about. In verse 27, he said, You've heard it that it was said, 
you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The law was given in a desire to protect intimacy and relationships. And so the fact that we can look for divorce as a way to have an escape clause shows us that from the very uh, depth of our heart, we're coming at it all wrong. Jesus is saying that just because you're willing to uh, give somebody a certificate of divorce and walk your way and wash your hands of the matter, that that hasn't made a better life for you or for them. And he's saying that not only is divorce wrong, but the way that you look and care and address a person, if it isn't out of love, and if it's even addressed from a place of lust, you're actually objectifying and devaluing a person that you're supposed to be giving grace and love to. And Jesus is going to make this very clear because he's going to say, I, I want you to see it. And at this point, what we know, if, if we could see the whole picture of the Sermon on the Mount where this is coming from, at this point, he's going to do a follow-up clause later with his disciples. So Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, let's look at this where Jesus is really going to show us what is at the heart of the matter of divorce that's destroying people's lives. It says, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So friends, here's what's really going on. The Pharisees are trying to use the law to justify the fact that they want to divorce a spouse. Jesus is going, don't you get it? It's not even about you feeling better by writing your certificate of divorce. It's about the fact that you're missing. You were supposed to be one with this person. This was supposed to be the individual that you gave your very best to, that it was your whole life dedicated to see her become her best. And now you think you're doing well by God just to be able to dismiss her? And then he's going to go on. He's going to, do you not understand that God had to deal with the own hardness of your heart by allowing you to have such a certificate? But from the very beginning, that was never his intention. And so if you want to say, okay, I'm hard-hearted, then you get to have a law. But if you're open-hearted, friends, the way of Christ transcends human laws and certificates of divorce. It moves us to a place of laying our lives down to bring a better life to another person. That's the transformative life that God's calling us to live. And so I hope we can see the difference in just these two areas. There's going to be three more that others are going to be speaking on. 
I'm, when I say three more, three more of these, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and every one of them is as transformational as these two. Remember, what I'm saying today is that two of the major problems in this entire world that we live in have to do with this hate and violence and have to do with sexual sins. Friends, look at the pornography, look at sex trafficking, look at all the issues that we have been able to create as humans. There's no way to justify it. What has to happen is that there has to be something greater that changes it. And the only thing that I know that's going to change it is if we're able to see our mistakes, our sins, our hurts, our problems, and recognize that the answer is grace. So what I want to do is to acknowledge that the good news is that grace has no expiration date. It has no memory either. If, if, if you didn't receive grace before, it doesn't mean that we can't receive grace today. So this is what grace is. Grace is God's forgiveness and love to bring healing in your life so that we get to be about the things that really matter. And so I'm asking you, would you look at it? Take some time this week, go to those Beatitudes and say, what would it be like? How would I feel about myself if I actually live this way? What would be the right course of action to, to walk this out? And then to acknowledge it's okay that we can't do that on our own initiative, but that the very spirit of the living God wants to empower us to walk with him and be that person, embody the life of Christ by living the Beatitudes. And that's when we really get to get off the shelf. That's when we get to shine. That's when we get to bring the healing power of uh, seeing lives change. So here we go, friends. Have you ever really just stopped and said, I need grace, I can't do it? Have you ever thought of the, the depth of change that could come into our lives and the sense of meaning that could happen if we walked this way? We're not looking as a church to just get in a building, get some people, show up, and give some clever ideas of how you can have a track of self-improvement. We're trying to become individuals who are led by the Spirit of God to bring the very grace of God to other people in our communities. And so I just welcome you to be a part of that quest with us. It's quite an adventure, and the only way it works is if we all come together, receive grace, and give grace to each other. So Lord Jesus, I'm asking that you would help us to receive you, that we would see the difference between what we can fabricate and make and what you have to offer. Give us grace, Lord. Give us your life. We receive it in the name of Jesus. And friends, let the blessings happen now.